Y'all do me a favor. My brother and his family are visiting this morning. He's a worship pastor at Willow Hill Southern Baptist. So especially John, if you could keep the amens coming like yes, usual. <laughs> and Walter, where are you at? You hear it? The hellos. Okay, we'll make him feel at home, all right? <laughs> Glad you guys could join us today. Hey, one of those things I said I would never do in my life is jump out of an airplane, even if I had a parachute. How many of you guys, let me see, just how many of you guys would do that? Yeah, my oldest son, Jaden, he, 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 he's wanting to do that someday. We, di we differ on that. I was talking with a buddy of mine. He was an Army paratrooper. And I asked him to tell me a little bit about what that was like. And he, he told me that most of his missions were in Southeast Asia. And even though when you get to full speed falling, you're going about 125 miles per hour. He said, it always felt as though I wasn't moving. He said this, just jump aside, think about this. He said, how high we jump from determined how long we were a target. That's another side of it we don't often think about. He said the most dangerous jumps were early in the morning because of the angle of the sun and the shadows. It was hard to evaluate the, the height and depth of, of the terrain. But one thing he told me that was particularly poignant for my message this morning, these are his words. He said, following protocol and procedures was always a plus. Knowing you had done all that is possible to get the best results out of jumping. Why do I share that? Because as I look at our passage in Matthew chapter 10 and I see Jesus addressing his 12 guys, what I see is less of a deep theological dive and more of Jesus giving them some urgent preparation for a jump, if you will. I'll, I'll call it persecution preparation. And as he prepares those 12, I believe there are things believers today can, can take from this as well. Because we live in the same fallen world. Now I believe if you were there that day, you would have heard an urgency in Jesus' voice as, as he passed this on to them. You would have heard a love and a concern for them and for us. So persecution preparation, think about what Paul said. 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, those of us who grew up and live in America have to admit, when we look at the scale of persecution, right? if, if there's this end where you have the verbal insults, verbal slights, and subtle exclusion from things, and, and over here you have death for believing in Jesus Christ, most of us live on this end, right? But I don't think we would be wise to ignore this topic because I believe if you were to go to countries where it's got, gotten to the other extreme and talk to believers who have been there a long time, you know what they tell you? They say it didn't start with the big stuff. It started with the little stuff. And, and you would notice something. 
you would notice that there were some who, who fell away at the first sign of the little stuff. There were others who, because they were faithful with the little stuff, they were faithful when the, when the big stuff came. So we have to ask ourselves, even as the little stuff hits us, are, are we willing to, to follow Jesus, to say this, to do that as he leads us, even if it hurts? Not to mention, the world is ever-changing. You do not need me to tell you that. You just read the news. We do not know what clouds tomorrow will bring, even in our own nation. I read this week about a pastor in Canada arrested for protesting outside of a library where they were doing a drag queen show for children. He had been forbidden to do so, but felt led to do it again on behalf of the kids, and they arrested him. Our neighbor just upstairs. And I think about persecution. I think we should and will always find ourselves in, in one of three ways involved in it. One, we should always be praying for others who are going through it. We may not be facing it right now. We have brothers and sisters around the world who are. Voice of the Martyrs, you can get a free monthly subscription to, to stay in touch with, with what many of them are going through. Pray for them. Pray for others. Maybe you're persevering through your own right now. At your workplace or, or somewhere else, some, in your family, because of a stand you're taking for Jesus. Praying, persevering through our own. Third one, preparing our hearts. For when it does come. And that's where I see Jesus talking to us today. I want to show you seven ways Jesus prepared his guys and us today for persecution. Number one. Let's get our PowerPoint up there, please, Jim. Uh, number one is prepare for predators. We're in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Prepare for predators. Jesus said to them, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Now, many of you know that wolves like sheep, right? It's just not in a way that sheep enjoy being liked. Wolves like sheep for the flavor. And there are many times in the New Testament that Jesus warns us, warns the church, about wolves. Matthew 7, we saw this came up in the context of false teachers. And the trouble with wolves, as we learn in the New Testament, is often they're dressed in sheep's clothing. Right? The false teacher comes. He says the same words we do. Jesus, God, heaven. But you dig a little deeper and you find out they have a whole different meaning to those words. You look at fruit and you find out that some of them care a whole lot more about their personal following than that you follow Jesus. Beware of wolves that are false teachers. But there's another kind of wolf in this world that I think is more pertinent in regard to persecution. There are wolves prepared to use your faith to incriminate you, to, to get you in trouble. 
I'm going to share three brief accounts throughout this morning from a book called Extreme Devotion that Voice of the Martyrs put out. 365 daily readings. I think we can learn from some of our brothers and sisters. This first one in regards to being prepared. Pastor Lee was the pastor of a house church in China. And just as he began to preach one Sunday morning, the, the doors blasted open and the, the agents of the government came in threatening all. They grabbed Pastor Lee to arrest him. He calmly looked at those guys and said, wait, please allow me to grab my bag. They looked confused and, and surprised. What's in the bag? He said, I got a blanket, a spare change of clothes. And he looked at the guards and he said, I expected to be arrested today. He had been arrested many times. He was once beaten so severely that he vomited blood. Another time, he was beat in the face with his own Bible. And he had been warned that the police were watching that village on that Sunday. Still, think about this. He showed up prepared and ready to preach with a blanket and clothes to boot. The author of that article said succinctly, readiness is a sign of commitment. We all have to ask our questions as we step out of here into our world. Are we prepared for that person to say this? For that person to do this? Second, proper balance is key. He's going to talk to us about proper balance. Second half of verse 16, be wise as serpents and innocent as as doves. I want to talk to you about being wise. There's a verse about this I love in the Old Testament. There was a leadership transition going on in Israel between King Saul and King David. And the people are all wondering what to do. And there's one group in Israel, the men of Issachar. And you know what 1 Chronicles 12.32 says about those guys? It says, the men of Issachar who understood their times and knew what Israel should do. Thought, man, what a great model for Christians who live in a fallen world. Yes, our kingdom is in heaven. Our, our hope is in heaven. But Christian, we should not be living here with our head buried in the sand. We should understand to the best of our ability the times in which we find ourselves living. And how God would have us live in light of that. Some of you need to hear this especially. There's some sweet people who just naturally assume everybody you meet has good motives. Part of being wise is just accepting the fact that not everyone's motives in this world are wonderful. We have to practice discernment. Biblical discernment in the people we listen to, the, the choices we make. Do not go along with everything you hear. We got to be wise. We got to be wise. But what's the balance? Innocent as doves. You know, at least part of what that means is 
we're not going to fight the world's fire with the world's fire. And this is where it gets tricky. We're going to be wise, but we're not going to get consumed with a vengeful spirit. God says vengeance is mine, right? We're going to be wise, but we're not going to be overtaken by hatred for those God has called us to be a light to. We're going to be wise, but we're not going to be consumed by cynicism and negativity. We're going to cling to faith in Almighty God in the darkness. We're going to be wise, but we're going to pray, God, let your love shine through me to those around me. I saw a wonderful example of this balance just yesterday. Did you hear about it on the San Jose Sharks? Last night was a gay pride night. And the Sharks have a, a Christian goalie named James Reimer who said he was not going to be part of those pregame festivities where they wore the, the pride jerseys. And his written statement, I thought, was one of the best balances of wisdom and innocence, wisdom and love. L listen to this. James Reimer said, Under the umbrella of the NHL's Hockey is for Everyone initiative, the San Jose Sharks have chosen to wear jerseys in support of the LGBTQ plus community tonight. For all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian. Not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and in response asked me to love everyone and follow him. I have no hate in my heart for anyone and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, I'm choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. I strongly believe that every person has value and worth and the LGBTQ plus community like all others should be welcomed in all aspects in the game of hockey. Do you see that wonderful balance? The wisdom. He was not going to follow along with the ways of the world, but the love for those who, who differed. Of course, there was mixed response. His, his team backed him up. But, but the organization, the You Can Play project behind the night said, we are certainly disappointed when religion is used as a reason not to support our community. But I believe our brother struck the right balance of wisdom and innocence. What about you? What about me? Strong on one, weak on the other? Or, or is God using both of those in my life, the wisdom and the innocence? Third, when persecution comes, we have to ponder the purpose in God's plan of that persecution. Verse 17, when you read these words, you see Jesus is telling them about things that will happen after he's ascended, things that we read in the book of Acts and the early church and beyond. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings, what's the purpose? For my sake to bear witness. For my sake to bear witness.
before them and the Gentiles. Sometimes the purpose in our pain, whether it's persecution or any other pain, is, is it gives us a platform to speak the good news of Jesus, even to those who would harm us. Think about the difference a platform makes. You think about the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And think about two different platforms and which one's more powerful. Imagine Jesus saying that on a couch at Simon Peter's house. Now think about where he actually said it, on a cross. Which platform is more poignant? The cross, right? Remember, persecution can provide us a platform to share the love and good news of Jesus, even with our enemies. Let's go to Soviet Russia. There was a hardened guard named Marco. He's working his shift one day. He tortured many a Christian, and a 12-year-old boy walked up to him. What is it? Marco said to the 12-year-old boy. And the 12-year-old boy looked at him and said, You're the man who put my parents in prison. And every year on her birthday, I used to take my mom a flower. But my mom taught me to love my enemies and reward those who would do me evil with good. So this year, because I can't give her that flower, I'm going to give it to you and ask you to give it to the mother of your children. And tell her of my love. Tell her of the love of Christ. That hardened guard began to weep on the spot. <laughs> and he hugged that little boy. And he invited Jesus to be his Lord and Savior, followed him to the point where he ended up sitting in a prison cell next to some of the same people he had tortured. And he told them he considered it a privilege to be counted among them. He told those in there of a little boy who gave him a flower and shared the love of Christ with him. Are we willing to see our own pain as a platform to share the good news and love of Jesus with those around us? He goes on to give them a wonderful promise of provision. Verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour for it is not you who speak but the spirit of your father speaking through you what a promise of provision now now is this excuse for the the pastor to golf six days a week and just wake up Sunday and say hey let's see what comes out no no, we're, we're told to study diligently, right? This is a very particular situation. You're dragged before these authorities and asked to give an answer for the stand you've taken. And I want to take it beyond. It may be a king. It may be a governor. It may be your boss at work this week because of a stand you've taken at your workplace. What does he say? Don't, don't be anxious. It will be given you in that hour. The Holy Spirit will give you what to say. You find yourself in that situation with an authority, you send up one of those Nehemiah bullet prayers when he went before the king. Paraphrase, Lord, help. Give me the words. And he says he will. He'll help you be a witness to those 
you're speaking to. And the, you know the early church saw this time and time again. Think about Acts chapter 4. Peter and John and heal, healed the crippled man and the religious authorities dragged him in to question him about it. And, and these same guys who were hiding out when Jesus was on the cross, listen to the boldness that comes out of their mouth. To the authorities who have, the, humanly speaking, have their lives in their hand, right? Acts 4.11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the leaders watching, verse 13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they're, they're thinking, these guys are fishermen. How are they talking like this? They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because the Spirit did what Jesus had told them the Spirit would do. He spoke powerfully through them. Listen, you find yourself in a moment like that. Trust in God's provision for what He would have you to say. Next, He talks to them about the fact that sometimes the, the pain of persecution gets very personal. Some of you know this. When, when family turns on you, because of your faith. Verse 21, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Those closest relationships, the, the sneak attack from the weak side Jesus knew what it was to be betrayed by one close to him. You remember what he called Judas when he came to give him the kiss? Do what you came to do, friend. friend. Children rising against parents. One, one of the ways I, I see the enemy working this out in our culture today is sometimes a, a child will, will go away to a college where one or many of the professors is steeped in atheism. And I have seen this with my own eyes. I've seen someone come back from that setting and began to call the folks in their extended family, quote, dinosaurs. Because they believe in the Bible. And I want to tell you something, young people. Atheism is full of holes. It is full of holes. And if you would take the time to dive deeply into why you believe what you believe in God's word, you will find ample ground to see that it is very reasonable to trust in God and his word. And I'll even issue you an invitation. If you're 16 to 30 years old, one of my favorite books on this theme is by one of our pastors in Chicago called Seven Reasons You Can Trust the Bible by Pastor Erwin Lutzer. We will get you a copy free. We just ask one thing. You write, write a two-page summary of what you learned in there. Because I'd love to read it. Watch out for this. 
watch out for God pulling you to do this to your family. What, what happens as the time grows near? Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Here's a question we all need to ask. If persecution comes to you from your family or close friends, will you cling to Jesus or will you change for that person? We all need to know the answer to that in advance. Sixth of our seven, straight into the point. You're going through it. Persevere. Persevere and, and press on. Press on. Verse 22 says, You'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, some of you are reading that last phrase closely and saying, hold on, that's a confusing phrase, right? The one who endures to the end will be saved. It makes it sound like my being saved is dependent on my endurance. Now, this is a complex Bible passage. I'm not going to give you, I've seen at least seven ways conservative scholars interpret this. I'm going to share two that I lean towards. The one who endures to the end will be saved. That could mean that the one who is genuinely saved is the one who will persevere. Yeah, yeah, we have our ups and downs, but when it comes to the end, we're still in there with Jesus, okay? That's, that's one way that could be interpreted. Another legit way is that Jesus is actually looking forward to a future time of persecution, namely the, the trouble of Jacob that we know as the, the tribulation, a seven-year period where there will be messengers proclaiming Jesus, and, and what he's saying here, looking ahead, is, hey, hold on, messengers, because literally at the end of that seven years, the Son of Man is going to touch down on this earth, and you will be physically delivered and welcomed into his millennial kingdom. Hold on. Hold on. Part of why some lean that latter way, verse 23, it says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Regardless of the timing here, there is a word for us today. If you're going through a hard time, you're going through persecution, hold on, believer. Jesus is coming to deliver you. Maybe you're like me, waiting for what I believe is next, that trump sound in the rapture. Amen. How many of you waiting for that? But listen, let's face it realistically. If that doesn't come before we die, even the death of the believer is a deliverance into the peace of God. Think about 2 Timothy as Paul faced his own execution, that man who had fought the good fight. And he said he looked forward to receiving the crown of righteousness from the Lord. He knew even death was a deliverance for the believer. Hold on. Help is on the way. Final one here. Number seven, precious fellowship in suffering. Precious fellowship, like master, like servant. Verse 24, Jesus said, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, 
how much more will they malign those of his household? What's he saying? He's, he's saying, guys, I walked that road first. They, they accused me of being from the evil one. And they would watch as they eventually nailed their Lord to a cross. And he's saying, there is a precious fellowship between me and those who suffer for me in this world. Paul talked about it like this in Philippians 3. He had this longing, Philippians 3.10, that I may know Christ in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. If and when you suffer for Jesus, you can know there's a sweet relational connection with the Lord who suffered before you. A bond. How closely does Jesus identify himself with you, church? Acts 9.3, you remember Saul was heading to Damascus to persecute some more Christians, right? Acts 9.3 says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, what's Saul thinking there? He's like, I've been persecuting these crazy Christians now, why is there a voice from heaven saying, why are you persecuting me? So he says in verse 5, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And all of a sudden, Saul knew just how closely Jesus identified himself with his followers. You persecute them, you persecute me, Saul. Wow. Siberia. There's a Christian named Paulus who was being tortured many hours by a Soviet officer. After torturing him for hours, the officer looked at him and said, we're not going to torture you any longer. He smiled at him and said, we're sending you to Siberia where the snow never melts. It's a place of great suffering. You and your family will fit in well. Paulus smiled back. So the whole earth belongs to my father, Captain. Wherever you send me, I'll be on my father's earth. We'll take away all you own, the captain said. You'll need a high ladder, Captain, said Paulus, for my treasures are stored up in heaven. We'll put a bullet between your eyes. Then my real life of joy and beauty will begin. I am not afraid to die. He continued to smile. The captain, frustrated, finally grabbed him by his tattered shirt and screamed in his face, Fine, we will not kill you. We will keep you locked alone in a cell and allow no one to see you. You cannot do that. Captain said, Paulus, still smiling, I have a friend who can pass through locked doors and iron bars. No one can separate me from the love of of Christ. Are you aware of that sweet fellowship of the believer who suffers with and for Jesus? He's gone before. He goes with. John 20, 21, he said, As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. He doesn't only send you and I out among wolves. He came there among the wolves for you, for me. And took their worst on your behalf and mine. Mark 10, 45. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. Have you placed your trust in the blood of Jesus? Back to my paratrooper friend. This last section I want to call decision time. He said a few more things about jumping out of those planes. He said it all came down to the moments before the exit. No matter how many times you checked your buckles, straps, lines, and harness, there was always the fear of what if. The what if soon became an oh well. Because <laughs> at the point of exit, that's the point of no return. Fear was always in the back of your head. But the more we did it, the easier it was to shun the fear. By the way, my name is Anonymous. I think about those words that he shared, and I think about this when it comes to the believer facing persecution for faithfully following Jesus. There is a point of decision. And that point of decision is not when we're dropped into the heat of the battle. The point of decision is in quiet moments just like this one. Between you and the Lord who went before us. Will I be faithful in that moment when I am dropped into the battle? Lord, help me by your spirit. Help me in your power to faithfully follow you. Now is the time make the choice. Lord, I thank you so much that Jesus did not beat around the bush. He prepared his, his guys. He prepares us. He is a faithful shepherd, not only to teach us what's true, but to walk the path before us to provide life and salvation through his death and resurrection and to empower us with his presence to follow faithfully behind. May you give us the strength to do so until we reach the shores of heaven, Lord. Help us be prepared. Help us remember the purpose. Help us to cling to the promise of your provision. And on and on. Lord, as we prepare to remember Jesus' sacrifice on the cross through communion, I pray this morning that it would not only be a time of great gratitude for that sacrifice, but a time of personal introspection where you work and say, hey, hey, are you willing to follow me wherever this path leads? Help us to, to respond, yes, Lord, with your help. In Jesus' name, amen.